Name your poison. Well, I'll join you in a small glass of brandy, if I may. <sighs> Do you have children? Only when there are no men around. <laughs> Some people enjoy playing themselves at cards or even chess. My passion is snakes and ladders. Playing with oneself can't be much fun, surely. Depends on who's around in the way of a partner. Fancy a game? Like, I mean, his films are insanely variable, but I do really like Ken Russell. I am not overly enamoured with him as a filmmaker, but I do really like Ken Russell because he got things done. It's very, very difficult to get a film financed and made, and it's even more difficult to retain control over the film while you're making it. And yet, even in 1988, when he was on his decline, I think, um, he got this film made. He wrote it, produced it, directed it, not many people can do that. He had a three-film deal, and Gothic had been a considerable success. And he was working towards making, I think it's The Rainbow, which was a sequel, a prequel to Women in Love. And they did eventually do that. But they, the people who produced it, Vestron, were so pleased with the results from Gothic, which is interesting. It was written by Steve Volk, who's uh, <laughs> the father of my brother's wife. My brother's father-in-law. Anyhow, so that film was a big success. They wanted another horror film. So they, Ken Russell wrote this over a weekend or something like that. Now, have you read the book? You know, I think I might have read it years and years and years and years ago on the strength of it being Bram Stoker, but I have no memories at all. See, I tried and failed, much as I did with Dracula, which I just didn't enjoy reading. Well, I think Dracula is quite a compelling read, but I haven't. I need to reread it. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with the book at all, but I am well aware from reading reviews of the film and from reading interviews with people involved that this has very little to do with the actual book. Okay, now <laughs> I have described this. I am going to describe this as Quatermass on acid. I think that that's. That will give a fair idea of, of the appeal of this. So Quatermass fans, it's like a very weird, bonkers version of Quatermass in some ways. It begins with this very compelling shot of this landmark, this hole. It's like a, it's a pinnacle of rock with a hole in it, which turns out to be a real place. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's called something or other. And uh, they do shoot inside the cabin system there, which is amazing. It's a lovely location. Not that you'd know it, because they were clearly very short of time on the day they were there and did most of it in a single shot. <laughs> he does, but there's an interview with him where he's talking about how he does use a lot of single takes. I mean, not single takes, long takes. Mm. Um, I think on this one it was definitely budgetary. I think they were probably only there for a day, if not two. Look, this is a very variable film, but yes. I, I love it. Uh, I love it for all its madness. Um, I love Amanda Donahoe. She's so sexy. Like she's this, she's this sexy, sexy posh villainess. 
she's absolutely fantastic and she more than carries the film and I, I've always liked um, Amanda Donahoe anyway but this one is could you quickly tell me what else she's been in because all I can think of is Castaway Castaway is your key one um, she mostly she sort of drifted in she's never really had a starring role she did a very good film called Paper Mask uh, with uh, Paul McGann where he pretends he's a hospital porter who pretends to be a doctor and she's the nurse helping him through I think I've heard of that I think it's Christopher Moraghan, off the top of my head. I've got a feeling. What does that um, mean? Is did... he a director? Yeah. Um, I'm more interested in who wrote it, actually. It's based on a book, but I can't remember the name of the book. Um, in fact, possibly. I don't know if it's that one or a different one I'm thinking of, but I think it might be based on a true story, but I'm not sure. Well, I'm um, like this. the reason I'm asking is I want to watch a load more Amanda Donahoe after this. I thought she was tremendous. Well, look, I tell you, my favourite thing she's done, which isn't really a film, there was an ITV series called Rick Mail Presents, and they were one-off 60-minute dramas. And she comedies, was in one of those. surely. Well, very, very dark comedies. And she's in one called Brief, Brief Encounter, or Briefest Encounter, it might be called, uh, where he's basically gone back to her flat for the night, they've met somewhere, and through a series of misunderstandings, they end up trying to kill each other. Um... It's really good. It's him at his well, best. It's her listen, at her best. Uh, if you can dig it up, please do. My note here is I want Amanda Donahoe to suck my ankle. <laughs> That's related to the fact this this yes. movie, as the name suggests, well, the white worm of the title is actually a serpent and, in fact, a dragon. So this is replete with um, snake imagery. Very early on, oh, there's a garden yes. hose, which is coiled. And this is all very effective stuff. There's a coiled-up garden hose. Later on, there's a hoover hose. Uh, but at one point, the local cop, who's one of the weaknesses of this, not, not, not entirely, but at points, the local, like, there's a bit where the local cop sees lights on in a deserted manor house and he phones for backup. And the, the so-called comedy conversation that ensues with his underling, <laughs> it's just kind of pathetic. I mean, it's just, you lose all sense of reality. It's not very good comedy because like, he ends up saying, oh, shove it up your ass because this guy can't make it because he's too busy having his tea or something. And all sense of, I mean, it's, it's, as I said, it's neither good comedy or good drama, that scene. There are problems with tone in the film. That's and this it. is another one of those things that um, Amanda Donahoe sails very, very close to, since some of the time it's almost like she's in on the joke as the character. Yeah, but she's perfect because she's this kind of she do, she sly, well. knowing, um, sinister, uh, gorgeous snake woman. But then she's surrounded by some very earnest performances. <laughs> well, the what we, doesn't help the film either. Just the, the guy who plays ADR. the cop is he, isn't he a quite it's Paul something? Is it? Yeah, he played the rancor keeper in Return of the Jedi. But he does loads of sitcoms and TV stuff. You don't see him often in film, but he does mainly TV. He gets his ankle bitten, and then Amanda mm. Donahoe sucks the poison out, which led to my off-color joke earlier on. But yes. I was what sitting there watching that, thinking that. But the cast is, I think, great, and it features. In the first shot, I knew that Hugh Grant's in it. In the first shot, I thought Hugh Grant had a very curly perm. But no, it's an incredibly young and good-looking Peter Capaldi. Yes, bless him. It's one of the first things I saw him do. And Hugh Grant uh, is one of the first things he ever did. I think they're both first-rate in it. Apparently, Hugh Grant went on to disown it. But it's, I don't think you should. I think this is a, a first-rate, wildly crazy but it, British film, but it makes it. it. You know, I've seen wildly crazy movies that have failed. This is one that succeeds. I've seen differing interviews with Hugh Grant. Um, the The first one was quite early on after the film's release, when it wasn't terribly well received, 
which is odd because they were planning a sequel, um, where he essentially said that he found it a bit embarrassing working on the film. He said it wasn't terribly good. Later on, he said that working with Ken Russell was one of the best things he'd done. Um, but at the time, he ha- felt he had to disown it professionally, which was a shame because nobody else did. Even Amanda Donahoe has always rated it as one of her favourite films. Well, she's she's great, but it's... It, OK, so <laughs> nobody can accuse Ken Russell of, of uh, avoiding excess. So there's some real excessive things like this. We should explain a little bit of, about the story such as it is. Peter Capaldi is an is a, I was going to say an architect, is an archaeologist, and he's dug up this Roman snake temple, a pagan snake temple, uh, and in this area there's a famous myth about it's basically a Saint George slaying the dragon type myth about the, the what they call the worm, the local white worm, which is this serpent or dragon, and it's huge, and of course it's still knocking around. And Amanda Donahoe has this kind of symbiotic relationship with it. She's kind of a snake herself, and she wants she's preparing sacrifices to bring the giant snake worm back. But she has dialogue like, oh, I tend to hibernate in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> you saying about the snake imagery, um, one of my... It's, it's unusually subtle for Ken Russell, but her car is wonderfully well chosen because it looks like a snake's head. It's, a, it's an E-type Jaguar, I believe. It's a lovely long Jag, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a blue Jag, uh, exactly the same car as was in 52 Pickup, I believe. Yeah, this one seemed to be in better nick. But, then, <laughs> yeah. but there is a very silly sequence where Peter Capaldi and... Um, is it... Sammy Davis, because there's, there's two really good actresses yes. in this. And Sammy Davis, not to be confused with the singer. And the other actress is called... Uh, it's Oxenberg. Is it Catherine Oxenberg? It is. Is it Catherine Oxenberg? Oxenberg. Yeah. They're sisters who run a guest house. And Peter Capaldi is walking back with one of the sisters, Sammy Davis. And they, they, they see this car moving through the woods. And they're like, oh, what's that? And, oh, it's just a car. But why hasn't it got... Why does it have its headlights off? But it doesn't. It's got its bloody I headlights know. on. It's very annoying that I wrote that down as well. Yeah. Um, Sammy Davis, I I just think is terrible. And she was someone that Ken Russell took a shine to. I think she's perfectly fine. Films. Why is she terrible? Um, the way she delivers her dialogue. <laughs> some actors will actually look at the line on the page and deliver it in a more natural way. She, for some reason, and you can go back and check if you like, she never uses a contraction. Guys, so, I think Matt's making a fuss about nothing. I thought no, all of the acting to... in this was was pretty was was very good, and it only lapsed when the script lapsed. That was my take on it. But you know, feel free to not continue knocking this fine actress. Well, both her and Oxenberg have the same problem in that they seem to they seem to be dubbed, but they're not. It's definitely their voices because I've heard their voices before. It's bad ADR, and I don't understand why the film's so ADR heavy. I'm wondering if maybe tell people what ADR the, is. Uh, dialogue replacement, automatic dialogue replacement. So. You, if you've got a sequence in a film that maybe a plane flew over, you re-record the line in a studio, you dub it on afterwards. Is that the same in thing this... that the Americans call looping? Yes. Yeah. Now, I think possibly what happened is that on location, they may have gone for an accent which was decided maybe wasn't appropriate for the film. Well, that's, uh, I could easily believe that. Because almost all their lines are... They're separate from the soundtrack. Actually, this wasn't as bad as the old VHS I used to have, so I think some cleanup's been done on the Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, it it doesn't help their lines, and they don't. She, she especially is so flat on the ADR. It it really irritates me every time she speaks. Okay, it's like she's in another room to everyone else. The yeah. acoustics are all wrong. Uh, yeah, just, but this a is a small part of a large mosaic. Speaking of mosaics, there's a mosaic of the the serpent at the 
in this temple, which is uh, Peter Capaldi has excavated in the, the yard of the farmhouse where he's staying with these two sisters. And he finds this giant skull, and the skull's a good prop. It, it looks nice and convincing. It's the skull of a giant serpent. And what happens is um, Amanda Donahoe gets wind of this, and she sneaks into the farmhouse when everybody else goes out, and she steals this. She's the local yes. lady. I can't remember her name, but she, she's the local posh lady. Lady who, Sylvia. Who lives in the manor house, right. So and I've written this is bonkers material played with real artistry and conviction. Look at how Amanda Donahoe caresses the ridged contours of the serpent's skull. I mean, she just, she, you believe that she believes it. Well, Donahoe, again, has no shame. She'll do anything it takes to make a scene work. We've seen Castaway. We know how much work she has to do <laughs> in that film. Um, I like her because she's never afraid to go over the top. And when well, in a Ken comedy, Russell film, that is often called for. Uh, you yeah. don't want to do it in a non-Ken Russell film, but in the context of this... She goes over the top, but you believe her, and she believes her. It, it never seems, it never seems artificial. But then you get an older actor, someone like Stratford Johns, who's also in it, who does go too Isn't far. Isn't Stratford Johns the cop? Uh, no, he's the butler. Oh, he's you're right. He's he's. I'm trying to think of lots of nasty words. He he's damagingly over the top and ridiculously over the top. Yeah, um, but clearly enjoying himself enormously. But you see, he was—he starts out in long shot in Hugh Grant's bedroom, saying something like, uh, "What does Sir want for breakfast?" And it's such an over-the-top performance. Even that first mundane line is chewing the scenery. And because he's in distant shot, and he's sort of this chubby guy. I thought it was Ken Russell doing a cameo because the performance was <laughs> was that bad. But yes, well, I wonder if maybe he's playing Ken Russell. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But but it's—you're hmm. right. It's just. That, that's a rubbish performance, but everybody else, I figure, works quite well. Had, do you, did you notice the music? I've written cheesy synthesizer right. stings, sounds like vintage Doctor Who. The music is the biggest problem with this film. It kills every moment dead, because for some reason the composer seems to think that everything needs an orchestral stab to draw your attention to it. So any subtlety, bear in mind this is a Ken Russell film, so subtlety went out the window. Well, the subtlety frame. may have gone out the window, but, but music shouldn't. And this is a, a, I've never heard of the composer who did the music for this. No, I didn't even write his name down, it's so bad. Well, we, there, there's could one you look it up the course of the interview, perhaps? Uh, no. <laughs> but, it's, but Ken Russell, music's central to his life, so you would have thought he would got to get a good composer involved. I just don't think he really cared that much about that aspect of the film because well, I've noticed that's if you look at something like because there, there's yeah, some live music at, at Hugh Grant's a posh house where they're celebrating the every year they, they have a big snake celebration day like a St. George and Dragon type party and the folk band that's playing there is I think terrific and it's shot really well reminding me that Ken Russell was forced to go and shoot music videos and probably did some great ones when his career dried up slightly I'm going to summon that word, which I hate so much, but we've used before. The diegetic sound I don't have a problem with. It's the non-diegetic that I don't sure. think he cared about. And there's a scene where Amanda Donahoe goes in for a kiss with Hugh Grant. And just before she kisses him, she sticks her tongue out like a snake. And for some reason, there's this huge orchestral stab on that, which kills it dead. And if you watch it back and just mute it, it looks so much better silent. And it would have been a nice moment. It yeah. doesn't need so someone the to music hammer this is, home doesn't every time. Do us any favors, which is strange in a Ken Russell film. But the diegetic music is that what it, they would call it when it's taking place in a scene? Yes, is is good. It's excellent. 
So his, yeah. he hasn't lost his touch there. Now, Amanda Donahoe, she's fabulously, ravishingly gorgeous. I feel even when she's her skin turns blue and she grows giant <laughs> venomous snake fangs, I find her fanciable, especially when she's trotting around naked in that form. I found her fanciable right up to the point where they cover up her eyes with some kind of um, fake, con not even contacts, but like fake eyeballs. And at that point, we lose everything because her eyes are so much a part of her. Would you like to know something quite cool? I would. I've spent 35 minutes in a room with Amanda Donahoe. And it was a green room. We were recording extras for an L.A. Law. Uh, it must have been a DVD, but I can't remember the purpose of it because she was in L.A. Law for about four series. Oh, that was... Because I was talking to somebody who said, oh, he, she went to the States and she did a soap. And it wasn't a soap. It was L.A. Law, which no, is no, like a Bochco drama series. Yeah. Um, and... I clearly obviously made eye contact at the wrong wrong point. And <laughs> she said, so what is it that you remember me from? Because <laughs> she said, it's usually Castaway. And I said, well, and I said the Rick Mail Presents thing, because that I think had just been on around yeah. that time, so it couldn't have been a DVD. Did, extra, did you get points experience. for that? Well, yes, but um, I said, I mean, it's probably Lair of the White Worm. And yeah. she goes, yeah, that's the other one. And she said that she's had more men come up to her with fantasies about her sprayed blue with with snake eyes she and snake looks teeth, great she's but sexy. she has anything else <laughs> she's a sexy blue evil chick who's bent on destruction what does what red-blooded boy wouldn't go for that even if she is ectothermic rather than homeothermic but yeah no i mean she's just superb in this i i can't say enough good things about her and there's a sequence in this that stays with you for a very long time which is a, a typical ken russell dream sequence now, is, um, there's, I think there's two of these. One is when, hmm. so what happens is when Amanda steals the giant snake skull from the innocent sister's farmhouse, it isn't quite enough just to do that. There's a crucifix hanging on the wall and she opens her mouth with these huge curving tusk-like venomous snake fangs and she sprays venom on the crucifix. Then one yes. of the innocent young sisters comes home, probably the one that Matt doesn't like. She touches it and uh, she's thrown the, 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 the venom on the crucifix just the contact of it on her skin throws her in this incredible hallucinatory trip sequence, which I loved. Uh, yeah, it wasn't that one. <laughs> it was so the other that, one that one, if I remember correctly, was is that where I've written naked nuns? Well, I mean, you get naked nuns in most Ken Russell films, and this these ones are being raped um, by Roman Christ soldiers. It's very yeah. strange, but it, it, it's but it does Ken have Russell. Amanda Donahoe <laughs> in her blue makeup, sticking her tongue out and rolling her eyes and looking fabulous. And licking a giant wooden phallus covered in blood. Well, it's it's little too pointy to be a phallus. It's kind of it's 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 more like a serpent kind of. It's obviously a phallic symbol, but it's kind of a serpentine. She object. does use it as a massive strap-on cock later. It's not the exact same object, does it? Is it? It's a different one. Well, I, I haven't checked it frame by frame like you, but I. I, I <laughs> it's wonderful. It was the same. It's absolutely <laughs> great. She does. Yeah, she folks. He's not exaggerating. He, she does have this incredible strap-on. This is astonishing shot is it Oxenberg Catherine Oxenberg is yeah she's yeah it's shot between Catherine Oxenberg's legs as Amanda Donner approaches with a strap on like this is a very strange movie this is in uh, a cavern where she's summoning the giant uh, snake and she's got both sisters there and she's going to use them as snake fodder of various kinds but Amanda Donner is she never loses she never you know blue skin strap on she never loses her dignity in a way, I think. Do you know, that is the thing. That's the key, is that that would easily be done. And I can think of a few other actresses that may have done this around the time who wouldn't have done anywhere near as good a job. She pitches it just right. 
Um, that, that's what it comes down to. It's just finding the tone that works. And like I say, I don't think the two girls found that tone. They had well, they didn't have it as well written parts either, which didn't help. If I may quickly write, just read my notes. She sprays venom on the crucifix, Hoover hose, trippy sequence, garden hose, blue E-type jag, naked nuns, boy scout hitchhiking. I virtually hibernate in the winter. Music sequences are great. A rosebud. So what happens is she's playing yes. a board game with the boy scout. Of course, it's snakes and ladders, which is a would be perhaps unknown to American listeners, but is uh, a kids' board game in Britain, a very traditional one. And at a point, she goes to the fireplace and throws the board in the fire, and as it burns, she mutters, Rosebud. And whoever's with her, it's not the Boy Scout, is it? Whoever's with her says, what? I don't understand. It's Hugh Grant, yeah. Now, do you know why Hugh Grant is sometimes in an Air Force uniform? Uh, he looks great, well, but I can't work out why he's occasionally walking around looking dashy in an Air Force uniform. Well, the dream sequence you can leave to one side, but the when he goes to visit her, no, I don't know why he goes in uniform. Yeah, okay. So I think possibly just to make a good impression, perhaps. I've also written here, not as convincing an eyeball as in zombie flesh eaters. Perhaps you could expand on that a bit? Uh, that is, again, Paul... I wish I could remember that name. That Paul, I think Paul Whitson might be his name, something like that. Um, it's the, the the guy that plays the policeman who um, the actor has a glass eye. Yeah, he's got a dodgy um, eye, hasn't he? And when he uh, when he's killed by Peter Capaldi's bagpipes, he falls backwards onto a spiky snake sundial. Which yeah, that's, that's right. Listen, Matt, the eye folks out. at home, Matt is not making this up. Um, no. Because what happens is Peter Capaldi, when both the girls get kidnapped, Peter Capaldi has a pretty fair idea of who's done it. So he turns up with a pair of bagpipes. This isn't as crazy as it sounds because we've established that that the snake can be hypnotized by music. So there's this fabulous scene in which Hugh Grant and his overacting butler, uh, Augustus Johns, somebody like that. Stratford Johns. Stratford Johns. Him and his overacting butler decide to cause uh, all snakes in the vicinity to be charmed by playing an old snake charmer, 78. And I must say that Hugh Grant's turntable is really nice. She thought I was freeze-framing naked Amanda Donahue. I did more freeze-framing to try and identify the make of Hugh Grant's very impressive-looking turntable. But he plays this music through speakers blaring out on the roof in a scene not entirely unreminiscent of a Doctor Who story called Delta and the Bannerman. Yes, that's very true, which is the, this was the year after, so they must have stolen it from you. Well, that's a relief, because I'm really glad that we didn't inadvertently steal that or I didn't inadvertently <laughs> let that through. But what happens is when this music wafts across the acres between where Hugh Grant lives in his mansion and where Amanda Donahoe lives in the mansion we see this tall um, wicker basket and the lid begins to come off and you're expecting like a, a cobra to come out or something and of course it's Amanda Donahoe holding the lid on her hand doing the most fantastic kind of serpentine shimmy as she emerges from the basket I have it from the horse's mouth that it was her idea to use the basket oh, that's... Um, originally she was meant to rise up out the bra uh, bath and do it nude well, um, which I, she, in some ways I would have preferred, I've got to say. Well, she also said, you know, I don't mind doing nude scenes, but I do mind doing them in the woods at night, which is when that sequence oh, was. Oh, would so, she then have had to be nude for the walking to the house? Yeah. That's um, not great. So instead she gets herself quite a nice classy Look, outfit out for, as well, which For she all the prurient the interest I would have had in that bathtub scene, and my heart is now <laughs> officially broken that that could have been and I didn't get to see it, the basket scene is fabulous, and she is, <laughs> as much as I've been banging on about her gorgeous nudity, she looks stunning in this outfit like it's this kind of uh how can i describe it? it is fascist it's this clinging kind of black outfit and she looks wonderful and her hair's sort of got this lacquered black thing going on 
the, the, the costume and makeup in this and the hair design are very good. They are, actually. Um, the makeup, again, the visual effects are mostly good. Um, some of the, all the nun stuff is terrible because it's all done blue screen and it, it's been transferred to video. Yes, but well, the thing about that is it's supposed to look um, degraded and uh, distressed because it's a, a fantasy sequence, correct? So you can let that lie. Um, there's a sequence in this where a lady is bisected with a sword and um, the two <laughs> halves of her are on the floor. And it's a brilliant visual effect, briefly. But unfortunately, Ken Russell stays on it way too long. I think he's so pleased with it that it looks so good. But in doing so, spoils it a bit. Um, it's one of those shots that should have cut away a lot sooner. But they essentially have two actresses, one halfway up through the floor, one with her legs up through the floor. Oh, so it's it like looks... a really great, uh, you know, it's the sawing and half trick writ large. Yeah. It's the same uh, visual trick that they used on Beetlejuice in the waiting room. You know, it's just two <laughs> <running instead laughs> but... but when you speak of someone like Beetlejuice, I begin to see a certain kinship. Like this is a really wild and way out movie, but it's it sort of sits interestingly beside a bunch of other kind of favourite bizarre bonkers movies. I think. Yeah, we uh, recently did a podcast about Phantom of the Paradise, and I see this as being a fraternal cousin of Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> um, I don't think it's as good as Phantom of the Paradise. I think. Oh no, that's ab no, that's absolutely true. But it's it is an amazing kind of tiny crazed classic in its own right. I I do love this film a lot, and both Capaldi and Hugh Grant are very good in it. I was saying that Capaldi gets the best. So we've established that this snake charming music works. Hence the wonderful scene, no bathtub scene, heartbreak, but the basket scene where she emerges. This, which somebody should just if that's on YouTube, just watch that sequence, and, and I think you'll be hooked into seeing the film. But we've established the principle that the snakes can't resist music. So Capaldi turns up playing the bagpipes. But also, yeah, and he turns up in full Highland kit. I know, that's kilt. what I love. And, but here's the thing. He's got wearing a sporran. And in the sporran, he's got a mongoose. I'm not making this up, am I, Matt? No, he you're pulls not. A he pulls a mongoose out of his sporran and unleashes it on Amanda Donahoe. It goes scurrying behind his curtains and... To my great relief, a very phony-looking fake dead mongoose gets thrown out. And then she appears, and she att successfully attacks Capaldi. And then she triumphantly removes these earplugs from her ears, so she's been immune to his, his uh, snake-charming bagpipes. But the thing is, when she, she's in total blue skin mode, and when she pulls the earplugs out, she's got these little pink uh, ears. The insides of her ears, <laughs> are where she had the earplugs, are not painted blue. So that's kind of, it's a little bit, it's a bit of a flaw, Well, in fairness, my cat's ears are pink inside, and he's got black Look, fur. I, this, so. I know you always make up these elaborate justifications. In this case, I'll let you, because, you know, I just adore I just her in every other regard. Tell me more about you meeting her. Um, well, I mean, that was, I said, other than that, we talked about the terrible food. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think who I was working it was must have been work experience when I was at college because it wasn't a DVD it must have been a TV special of some sort it could even be an EPK actually because I've got a feeling that oh, you're so lucky that, to have I've got spoken a feeling to LA Law was out at that time so yeah, probably I, well, I, you made me want to go and watch loads of LA Law which I, was a show I really liked at the time uh, Jimmy yeah. Smits was in it too wasn't he the memory series he was I mean I'm not sure that's a draw but <laughs> He was certainly, he's yeah. he's, uh, and he was great in uh, NYPD Blue as well. Now, so I want to do a full-on Ken Russell binge after this. I think oh, we need to see right. every. Just before I spoke to you, I was stricken because I can't immediately lay my hands on my Ken Russell at the BBC uh, DVD, which is his early films about Elgar and so on. 
I definitely haven't got it. Well, you, you knew I was working up to that, but I didn't think I'd lend it to you. I, I don't know where the devil it's gone, but I must track it down. I mean, I, there is some very good Ken Russell out there. I, I do like the more peculiar stuff. I really like Crimes of Passion, which I think is a Let's superb Let's do film. that. I've got a lovely Blu-ray of that. That's um, one with Kathleen Turner in. Yes. Yep, great. And Anthony Perkins. What else? Um, oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't have any other Ken Russell because I don't... No, but what do you like? I, I admire him, but I don't like him. Um, <laughs> well, because he... Are there he, other he films that, that, that pass the test, like Crimes of Passion? Uh, of his output, no, I don't like The Devils. I um, love The I Devils. Like what are Altered States? I especially don't... Uh, Altered States. I've seen it, but I can't remember well, it. Let's do Altered States, but then do The Devil. Mm. You don't like Tommy, which is tremendously disappointing. No, I really don't like Tommy. Well, you may, have, may be forced to watch it at some point. Tommy reminds me too much of... Um, uh, what's that other Robert Fust film? Uh, Final Countdown. In the, it's no, just, no, 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 no. The Final Program. Final Program, yeah. It's all... Yeah, Final Countdown is a very different film. It's all about the visuals, and there's just it's all style, no substance. And it's a musical, it dude. I, you can no, 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 no. You can have very good music. Well, let's okay. Well, why don't we get? Because I've never seen it. And you probably never have either. Let's do the boyfriend by Ken Russell, which is another musical. No, I haven't seen that. What, okay, well, which let, put that on the list because since neither of us has seen it, since we both like musicals, <laughs> the list that I don't actually have does <laughs> no such list. But yes, I, I will keep it in the back of my head. But I want to do loads of Ken Russell. You see, he's nuts, but he's really talented. And the talent often shows through. Uh, but I've written, where did he get the mongoose? Where did he get the mongoose? Please. Well, similarly, where did he get the hand grenade? Yes, there's a hand, crucial hand grenade, and it's not... Also in the Sporran. Chekhov would not have been pleased. The hand grenade is not set up early in the film. And he also has some anti-venom, which he's magically got from the local GP, who later rings him up and says, oh, no, the... And they they see it in this really casual way. Oh no, it's not anti venom well, at all. Uh, it's something very dangerous. <laughs> but you won't it's have another, used it. It's another really bad ADR. It's Gina McKee, a very early role for her, playing the the lady in the hospital. Black eyes. No, that wasn't Gina McKee. It's Gina something else. What did Gina McKee do? Well, she did a lot of stuff with Chris Morris. She was in Line of Duty fairly recently. Um, she turns up in a lot of stuff. She's never actually starred in anything that I can recall. Okay. Um, but she's she's a better actress than her ADR suggests. But it's all, again, it's like the, when the cop phones up and it turns into a stupid comedy thing. Like no, no mm. medical people would behave like that. And the gag is just it's just a gag. So at the end of the movie, there can be this twist where we thought somebody was safe. But in fact, they've been infected with the venom. And it's like vampires. He's going to be a, a vampire serpent guy. And there's at the end, there's a sudden discovery that, you know, it's a classic horror film thing when everything's sorted out. And then, da-da-da, there's a twist. They planned to do a sequel. There was meant to be a sequel. Which I would, I would have paid good money to on. see the sequel without hesitation. They came close to getting made about 15 years later, I think it was. And Hugh Grant wasn't interested because why would he be? And he, they wanted him involved or something. I can't remember the details. I think basically, if he was involved, they'd have got the money. That's how. It know, but he, he, him and Capaldi are really good. I don't have the problem with Sammy Davis that you do. Do you know Oxford's what else I noticed good. watching this? Um, Big is point. That it occurred to me watching this that Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi were in Paddington Two together a couple of years ago. Oh, now that's a really great movie. <laughs> but also, you tell the folks at home what else they have in common, because I know you want to. Uh, well, they've both been doctors in Doctor Who. <laughs> and for those who, who can't immediately identify where Hugh Grant was the doctor, explain. It was in a 
not terribly good comic relief uh, special. It was him, uh, Rowan Atkinson, Joanna Lumley, Jim Broadbent, and Richard E. Grant playing doctors in quick good succession. Cast. Yeah, um, E. Grant was probably the funniest. <laughs> and so, he presumably yeah. wrote it. Yeah, so so Hugh Grant has, in a sense, played Doctor the Doctor in Doctor Who, and obviously Capaldi did, I thought, brilliantly, it, just before it went to Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's up to it's a personal judgment. I think Capaldi could have been a lot better. I was very disappointed with Capaldi. I had high hopes for him, but he... What, what are we talking about Doctor Who or this movie now? Yeah, both really. <laughs> yeah, well, in this movie, there, generally, there is a yes. there is a, a mongoose hand grenade problem in this movie, <laughs> but I think he he does well. But the real winner is this fabulous Amanda Donahoe, who just carries it because if the baddie in this wasn't some extraordinary screen presence, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't at all. And like I, like I said at the beginning, she carries the film. Uh, there's a lot to carry, I think. I, it, it's make or break. If she, if her character was no good, it would never have worked. Yeah. And I, I, there's a limited number of actresses that could have ended up doing that. Tanya Roberts probably. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, Tanya. That's a. Uh, she was in Sheena, right? And the Bond. Movie. Yes. Oh, she would have been terrible in it because it requires a posh English bird. You know. Like oh, absolutely. Died in the wool, you... posh English bird. Now I'm doing a quick bit of research because I want to. I've got a really good Blu-ray of this, and I want to give a shout out to the, the company that made the Blu-ray. Right, Layer of the right Worm. Got, I've got the same one, but I can't remember who did it. It's a uh, well, it's a little. It's a British company, but it's not one of the usual suspects. No. And it's part of the Vestron Classics, Vestron Collector Series. And now I don't know anything about Vestron. Is the original production company? I know nothing about them. Can you tell me anything about them? No, not really. Um, I mean, they did a, a stack of straight-to-video stuff. That was their big... And to be honest, this was straight-to-video stuff as well. It was never really going to bother the box office that much. I don't think it did huge business. This is... I think it's Lionsgate is the people who released this. But, so yeah, Vestron... It's, it's, it's listed as Vestron Video. So if you Google Vestron Video Blu-ray layer... Anyway, you'll find the Blu-ray. I think they did a really good job because there's also some excellent uh, extras on this. Not as many as I'd like, but... And indeed, the cover features a shot of her emerging from the basket, and she looks exquisite in that. It's just, yeah. So I'm also going to quickly look up uh, the name of the guy who did the music, because... I'm well ahead of you on that, actually. Oh, are you? Lair of the White Worm. And just to see if there's anybody else we need to name check. Well, I said I was well on the way, but it's that typical IMDb bloody pop-up asking you to pay for it. Um, I can't remember his name. It was something... It sounds it's, it's something East, Middle, Middle Eastern. Eastern European, is it? Stanislav Sirovich, uh, that may not be how you pronounce it. His surname is spelled S-Y-R-E-W-I-C-Z. I thought those cheesy synth stabs with, that conjured up vintage Doctor Who kind of gave the right sort of atmosphere in some ways. But I, I'm willing to, to, to go with you on it not being the greatest score because it wasn't the greatest score. He's done a great deal of work in Poland, perhaps. Oh, no, he's, uh, he's Russian. Uh, he did the Holcroft Covenant... Let's see what else. He's done some interesting films. The Holcroft Covenant, I think, was a John Frankenheimer film. Yeah, loads and loads and loads of television, what looks like um, Russian or perhaps Polish TV. Layer of the White Worm. So his career doesn't seem to have soared after. Oh, that explains a lot. He did Biggles Adventures in Time. Okay. 
which rather annoyingly I've got quite a soft spot for because it's a big silly synthy soundtrack. However, that's a big action adventure film and the synthy silly soundtrack works with that. Yeah, because you want a big action score, whereas in this you need it to go under, underplay it, right? Yeah, I think it just needed something much, much darker to make it work. This is the kind of thing you probably wanted someone like Goblin working on. Oh, that would have been fantastic. I've just seen, you know, the scene I hate where the guy's on the police radio. Yes. The idiot on the other end of the police radio is played by Ken Russell. So he did, yes, I know. Sorry, I, sorry, I should have said. <laughs> he did indeed do a, did do a cameo in it. A cinematography, Dick Bush, which I think is excellent. A film edited by Peter Davies, who's in, very interestingly interviewed in the extras on the disc. Uh, production designed by Anne Tilby. Art direction, John Ralph. Costume designed by Michael Jeffrey. So there's a lot to be said for that. Also, Karen Edwards, hairdresser, just because I love so love Amanda Donahoe's hair. And you'll see her on that shot of the cover. It just looks great. So I, I can't thank you enough for an opportunity to see this film again. I saw it on the box years ago, and it, I just fell in love with it. Yeah, it's one I saw late at night on Channel 4, if memory serves, on my little purple I, I think I did too, and I think I had the VHS of it, treasured for years. Mm, absolutely. And it was edited too, the VHS, which was really annoying. I think what we've got now is the um, is the, as near to a definitive version as there is on the Blu-ray. Yeah, there's no footage. I, don't, I can't imagine this is a film where footage was shot that would not be in the film. Well, Russell said he, he shoots very little extra coverage. He's, he's like there are quite a few directors who say this that they shoot that they edit in the camera, meaning they limit the options for editing by just choosing certain shots and not shooting extra yeah. cover. That's a director's way of avoiding having their film recut by someone else. Yeah, it, it uh, absolutely Which obviously, is that. like I say, he has control over the film anyway. My annoying, the annoying thing with Ken Russell is that he shot almost the entire film, even though it was a sixteen by nine aspect ratio. He shot the whole thing four three. I think possibly because he knew it was going to end up on home video and TV rather than in the cinema. But w watching it, I don't recall it being like. I thought it was widescreen when I saw it. It was, but he everything everything's in the middle of the frame. Nothing he doesn't use the ah, scope of the frame. He he so he had like a stencil that he was using, and he made sure that everything was within the four by three. Yeah, yeah. Image it definitely feels that way. Well, I think that's very foolish for a film that's about snakes. You want widescreen. Well, you do. Unfortunately, I I think this wasn't so much a. a I think it was a conscious decision. I think the idea was that he knew exactly where it would be seen and you want your film to be seen looking the best it can. Even something like Aria, he did 4-3 anyway. So he knew that was... Aria? Isn't that, um, isn't that a portmanteau with, shot by different people? Uh, yeah, but he's got one of the chunks in yeah. it. It's 4-3 chunk on that and it's it's shot. He knows full well what he's doing. It's very well shot, his bit on that. I um, think we this is occasion for a deep dive into Ken Russell. Dumb. But, okay, to sum up, summarise again... <laughs> I consider this to be Quatermass on acid. So if you bear that in mind, and you like the look of Amanda Donahoe emerging from her <laughs> wicker basket, her own idea, great idea, then please don't hesitate. I th This is wild, wild movie. Would you recommend it to people? Uh, I would. Um, my daughter was in the room when I was watching this, and as usual, she was hunched in the corner on her laptop uh, trying to do her college work. And the only time she looked up was at the very end, and it was that shot we were talking about, shot between the legs of Catherine Oxenfeld, <laughs> where Amanda Donahoe sprayed blue with this uh, strap on sticking out of her yeah. groin. And the serpentine strap-on, yes. Snaky. Said, why, why do you watch this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
But it, she, if she'd watched the rest of the film, she would have seen how deep and meaningful it was. She, she just took that shot out did. of context. It's not fair. About a minute after that, she said, is that Peter Capaldi? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. So I'm very, also very glad that the dead mongoose looks so phony. So that's, yeah. You should never go in there without a mongoose. <laughs> Poor little mongoose. <laughs> it's probably the only one in the Lake District. Not anymore. So, more Ken Russell, please. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. God, Kevin, you do have a appalling beer. Save your bread. You have halitosis too. <laughs>